You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, you know that um, I like Dr. Bob, right? That I think we both kind of fi- favor Dr. Bob over Bill. I do know that, yes. Yeah. Did you know that he had a dragon tattoo? Shh. <laughs> it's the a true story. The guy with the dragon tattoo? Yeah, he had a dragon tattoo and, a, and evidently a compass. I mean, if you... Huh? Well, you have a chicken tattoo, so this <laughs> That's a rooster. Oh my bad. That's not you're missing my point. It's actually a cock. You're missing my point though. The Dr. Bob was was bad was a a bad dude. I mean if he is pretty cool. Late, late 1800s early 1900s if you get a tattoo of a dragon, I mean there's something seriously uh what's the word? Going on in your mind. I mean, Going what was on. he thinking? Yeah, so anyway. He was not boring, could... and I feel like is what you're saying. Boring was Bob not, was. He, he was, was not you know. boring Bob. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. That's exactly right. So I wish we could get a picture of it. I can draw you one. You've seen Dr. Bob's tattoo? <laughs> no. Oh, all right. I was going to say. Mm. Hey, welcome, everyone. We are glad to be here today. We've got a great guest. Our guest, uh, I think she's in Michigan. Illinois. She's shaking her head. I uh, I knew it was Illinois, but it it's got to be close to Michigan, right, Katie? Yep, pretty close. (laughs) Right on. Yeah, right on there. All right. Hey. So anyway, our 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 guest is Katie. Welcome, Katie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi there. I'm Katie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm from the northern Chicago suburbs of Illinois. Uh, my sobriety date is September 1st, 2020. Uh, a little backstory. Um, I started drinking at 13, but my drinking really didn't turn into daily drinking um, until my mom got sick. Prior to that, I, I'd i say that I was a binge drinker. I mean, I definitely drank problematically. Um and there were certainly consequences, but it was only about three to four nights a week. Um, but even my first, even my first drink um, at thirteen, I was it was abnormal from the very beginning. Like I noticed that I always wanted to drink. My friends could take it or leave it on certain days, and I had to be really conscious of how frequently I was asking for people to steal alcohol and which friends, so they would, you know still want to hang out with me. Um, so anyway, so fast forward, my mom dies. Um, I had been drinking alcoholically every day for a few years at that point, And I suspected that I had a problem. Um, I even, I even talked to one of my friends with, with my concerns and I said, Hey, she had lost her mom too. Um, and I said, I think I'm drinking too much. Maybe I'm an alcoholic. And she said, no, I drank Jack Daniels every day for like a year after my mom died and I was blacking out every night and then, you know, I was fine. So for me, that was really like, 
like a confirmation that what I was doing was okay, that I was, I was just, excuse me, I was just grieving and it would kind of go away and I would go back to my, you know, three to four nights a week blackout, um, which I was okay (laughs) with. Um, But that did not happen. Um, I continued to drink and my drinking continued to progress um, to the point that I was, I was really an isolated drinker at the end. I didn't do anything else. I'm a mom. Um, I'm married. And my days were kind of like, you know, they started with me taking all my empties when my husband would take the dogs for a walk, loading them into duffel bags, stashing them in my car on my way to work, transferring them into garbage bags, dumping them at forest preserves, working, (laughs) picking up alcohol, driving home an hour, drinking every day, and then putting all of my, you know, all of my wine in my laundry basket where nobody looked. And I did that every day for, for years. Um, And I knew I had to stop, but I just, I really didn't know how. I don't think that I knew what alcoholism was. Um, I thought that I was just, you know, weak willed, that I wasn't trying hard enough. I was lazy. And really the shame that that belief produced kept me drinking longer um, because I didn't want to tell anyone. And, you know, my husband knew he didn't like me when I drank, but he didn't know how much I was drinking. Um, and he has never had a drink in his life. Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's poor <his> fella. Bro- <laughs> well, it's a good thing he hasn't. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> his brother is one of us and he was an older brother and he sort of saw his consequences. I think that deterred him. So, you know, I thought that I thought he'd leave me really. I was, I thought that if he saw me, how I saw myself, he would not want to be with me. Um, So then at 37, I called the treatment center and I don't know why I called that day. It was really no different than any other day. Um, I was 10 a.m. and I was crying on my bathroom floor. And for whatever reason, I picked up the phone and I called. And, um, you know, I had gone from being this really happy girl who loved life to really wishing that I would just die, you know, that I would be hit by a bus or something. And Um, I wouldn't say that I was suicidal, but I would say that my mental and emotional state had degraded so much by that point that I could see how I would end up there. Um, and I didn't want that. So I called and a week later I was in treatment in Nashville and I did 14 days there and that got me clean. And then they pointed me to AA afterwards. Um, and I got sober on zoom meetings and I really just, I hit the ground running. I mean, I got a sponsor. I got into the book right away. I got into the steps and I've been sober ever since for three years now. So, All right. Congratulations. It's good to have you. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for the, thanks for the story there. Shank, what's our topic today? Our topic today, which we probably all three have um, some experience with is the hideous four horsemen. Ooh. Hideous. Why 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 do they want to call the four horsemen hideous? Um you know, I I don't know the answer to that, but it seems pretty mean. All right. So here is what it says. This is from page 151 in the fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says 
the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding companionship and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Hmm. Wow. Well, Katie just described that. She did. She did. <laughs> yeah. She sure did. What do you think about the four hideous horsemen, Katie? You ever felt yeah, any of that? I, yeah. I mean, I the last line says it. Hun, unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Um, for me, the again, isolated drinker, loneliness, even within my own household, I was I was alone. Um and my husband and son said that to me often. I mean, my son would come to me at the end of the night and he would ask if I was depressed and, you know, what was wrong with me. Um, you know, I woke up every single night towards the end in a complete panic, vowing that I was never gonna I was never gonna drink again. I was definitely not drinking the next day. And, you know, I was all of those things. I was scared, I was bewildered, surprised that. I had ended up there again, even though I hadn't really done anything to change it at that point. Um, and I was frustrated by my behaviors and in total despair because I knew it was going to happen again. So, yeah, it was mm. a pretty miserable existence. Yeah. Shank, how did you feel when you were in when you kind of came to at the jail? <laughs> um, all of these things, you know, truthfully. I felt this almost immediately. You know, I've shared on this podcast and with people before that I could not drink enough to get out of my head, to get out of my heart, to like not know what was going on. I did learn in treatment when I was there, like this chart and graph about the alcohol you consume and how it affects you and all of that. I don't know how that played into this, but I was completely aware of what was going on, um, when I committed crimes and ended up in jail and I just felt like, you know, they didn't have any available um, cells. So they gave me a mat and put me under the stairs. And I just felt like that was really fitting. You know, like I was just like, this is where I deserve to be. Uh, you know, after eight hours of continuous crying and freaking out, panicking, like all of these things, um, I was feeling all of that. Like, I just felt like whatever is going to happen from this point forward, like I deserve it. And it was definitely uh terror, be bewilderment, frustration, and despair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My last, um, I'll say six months of drinking. It was a continual feeling of the four hideous horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. I about six months before I got sober, it hit me so hard one morning that I called my brother and asked him for help. And now I don't know what I need help with because I really don't. I've never heard anything about alcoholism or uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but that feeling of just you know being scared that something was just going to come get you and 
really just hating some of the things that I, that I had been doing. And he took me to church that morning and people came in there and prayed on me and did all kinds of stuff. And I left there thinking that my life was just automatically going to change just based on going to a church service one time. And about two or three days later, I was drunk. And then yeah, the terror would get on me so bad. I would try to attempt suicide and, you know, uh, I would became a loner just like this talks about. I didn't seek companionship anywhere else. I just, I just stayed by myself and locked myself in the house and started hearing voices. And, um, but I think it, it really, you know, for an alcoholic, it, it really describes how we kind of live our lives and really how we feel in, inside. Um, I know the morning that I, that I actually like asked for help. The four horsemen were on me bad. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they were really on me bad. Um, and I know that, that just knowing that, or just, you know, trying to recall those feelings won't keep us sober. If it, if it did, we probably wouldn't need alcoholics anonymous or, or a higher I, know I just kind of felt like I knew in that moment that I couldn't drink. Like I still didn't know that alcohol was a problem or the problem or however you want to phrase it. But I knew that I couldn't drink. I felt all of these things. And I really believe that if I felt that way the rest of my life, like that was just how the cookie crumbles, right? Like that's right. just how my life was going to be. i truthfully believed that I would just be in prison the rest of my life or at least the majority of it. And that is what I was told. So I was just like, you know, this is the way that I'm going to have to feel because I have physically harmed people. Then so be it. Mm -hmm. So here's a question. Why can't we stay sober by just remembering the pain and suffering that drinking causes ourselves and others? Um, okay. I can wait on this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we have no defense against the first drink. Um, you know, once the panic wore off for me and it, and it did quickly, um, I'd be drunk in a handful of hours. Um, my sponsor and I were just talking about this the other day. Well, about playing the tape all the way through and you can't, we can't play the tape all the way through. I mean, somewhere in the book, it says, um, and I'm not going to say it exactly. I don't remember it verbatim, um, but we're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with enough force um, the memory of that first drink and the suffering of, of you know, a week ago, I think it says, or a month ago or whatever. I got you. I got you, Katie. It's on page <laughs> 24. You. And okay. it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question. Have we, do we still, have we still lost the power of choice? 
You still got a choice on whether you drink or not? I have, I have a choice now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have a choice, but now it's, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the same person that I was before. I mean, I can't do anything about the allergy, right? That's, that is what it is. Um, but the obsession that is the, you know, that insanity yeah. of that first drink, um, that's, that's no more. I'm recovered. Um, been removed. Yep. It can come How about back you, B-Bot? Well, it can come back if we stop doing stuff. What stuff? Like working and buying cars and <laughs> uh, making money? and No, massages and self-care oh. and uh, oh. being, being good to myself. Uh-huh. No, I, I think if I stop praying and, and uh, meditating and um, taking my own inventory and, more importantly, helping others. I think there's then I think the the sickness can come back or dishonesty creeps in or whatever self self will will creep in and I think that the it could, the obsession could come back the uh, if we don't keep doing certain things at least that's been my observation by watching other people ah okay yeah. I've, I've been sober since I started trying Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know that's not everybody's experience. And at least that's what it appears like happens to them. Um, but I know that consequences won't keep us sober at all. And you hear a lot of times in AA, well, you're going to drink if you, to drink is to die, which, you know, it, it might be true, but staying knowledge in, uh, the idea that you're going to die won't work either. Well, I know we've said this. Go ahead, Katie. Sorry. I was just going to agree. I mean, if, if consequences would, would keep us sober, then, you know, I wouldn't be where, where I am today. I mean, I had tons of consequences every day. I woke up with them and I kept drinking anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems too. you know, I just, and I know that I've said this on this podcast several times, but fear-based sobriety just doesn't seem to work saying like, well, if you drink, you're going to die. I've sponsored plenty of women that know that that could potentially happen, but you could also go on to the bitter end. You and absolutely repeat this could. cycle of drinking, mm-hmm. getting sober, things are getting better and then drinking again. I mean, I've seen that happen so many times to people and this is not out of judgment. It's, you know, it's typically people that either haven't worked the 12 steps or have worked them, but kind of refuse to help other people when you get your life back and you're feeling better. And, um, you know, there have been times in my sobriety where I've sponsored more people or sponsored less, but I'm always attempting to go out there and help other people. So just saying like, well, I've been to jails, institutions, and the only thing left is death. So if I drink, I'm just going to croak. You know, that may not be the case. Yeah. Going on to the bitter end, death might be better than going through, going to the the bitter end. So, Kay, tell us, how did you get out of the the four horsemen? I mean... 
I got, like I said, I, when I got here, I was, I was scared at first. Fear was, was a good motivator for me at first. Um, but it was great. I mean, I got, I got right into the book. I got a sponsor. Um, I didn't get a great one at first, but, but I did at about seven months. Um, so I worked the steps twice by that point and I was just obsessed, just like I was with my, my drinking. I, was really into AA and doing everything exactly as it was suggested. Um, for me, the huge turning point was, was really step three. I mean, I had nothing bigger than me at that point. And I was really concerned with defining what my higher power was early on yeah. um, because I thought that, you know, if I, if it was too abstract that I would build everything on top of that. And then, you know, at some point my sobriety would just crumble as a result. Um, But just like so many things, you know, now I could look back and it's like, I really didn't need to understand that because it grew as I grew. Um, But I mean, the steps, the steps produce the spiritual awakening, you know, and that's what got me out of it. Um, and that's what I continue to work at every day. I mean, I, I try to grow spiritually every day um, and service and, and all of that. But that was the turning point, the HP. So you bring up a really good point, uh, something that I something that I say a lot. That's why it's a good point, because I say it. Right? <laughs> um, but having this obsession with having the right sponsor or a certain sponsor or I want to be sponsored in this sponsorship family. And for Mm -hmm. those who are just listening, I did air quotes with that. Okay. But it really doesn't matter. You know, like I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to drink. I didn't really know exactly what that meant, but I knew that I had someone saying it's this book. I didn't have access to my sponsor to meet in person anytime I wanted or to pick up and call anytime that I wanted but I had the book. And so I do think that people who really have reached, you know, I had reached that absolute, you know, I had consequences. Yes. Similar to you, Kate, like I had consequences. And I think that fear maybe sobered me for a bit, you know, like I knew drinking wasn't the solution. I didn't really have one yet, but I was willing to do what I was asked to do. And, you know, I've, I've, had a few sponsors over the last 10 years. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great if you find a sponsor and that person is A plus in the book, does and says whatever you needs to be done and said. But it's really not that big of a deal either to realize once you get in the program a little bit, like, hey, this person is telling me to write out my life story or just do things that I I see that other people aren't doing that I see they have what I want spiritually and so I'm going to go find someone else I I do feel like sometimes people make it out to be like well don't make any changes and sponsorship is should be for life or you know I'm unique and I've had the same sponsor since I've got sober hey oh well, that's fine you know like Good for you. Applause. But find someone that has what you want spiritually that is in the book that is continuing to help other people. 
and just change sponsors. Like, who cares? That's it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, Shank. It seems that that um, an alcoholic that's willing, there's very little that you have to do, right? So if they get to the point to where what this paragraph says, and to Katie's point earlier, unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand, it seems that there is a certain type of alcoholic that comes into the program that probably like the three of us, we get to the point to where you just become willing to to do the program and you just kind of give up, concede and, and move forward. And there's very little unwillingness with a person like that. I mean, you could, you can't say anything right and you can't say anything wrong. People are just going to kind of, kind of recover. Now here's a question well, for you. Well, let me say one thing. So Jerry, you got sober out in the free world. Oh, okay. I got sober and then went to prison. Katie got sober on zoom so i do think it's like really important to kind of bring to light that you know regardless of the circumstances you can get sober like obviously katie you were willing to do online yep. meetings do whatever you needed to do um sure. to stay sober so what was that like kind of getting sober online versus now being in person you know I, I'll hear people will say to me all the time, like, wow, that's really amazing that, that you did that. And I'm not, I'm not the only one, but to me, it's the only way that I knew, you know, um, I was desperate. Um, and I knew that I had to do something and, you know, luckily the treatment center that I went to, um, you know, all the counselors there, all the psychologists, everyone, they were all recovered, you know, alcoholics or addicts. So, um, they kind of got us into the steps a little bit, a little bit there, but I knew that, that AA was the answer and I just lived on zoom. I mean, you know, it was still COVID. Um, I have a family business, so I had some flexibility, um, and I would just listen for like seven or eight hours a day, you know, in my pajamas, I was, I was not retaining a lot at the very mm -hmm. beginning. Um, I had to write everything down like bullet points. If I wanted to share, I couldn't remember stuff. Um, but I was in it, you know, and I think that you're right. I think it's, you know, if you're willing, you can do it anyway, whether you're yep. in a prison cell with just a book and writing letters to sponsors mm -hmm. or you're on zoom. Yep. And so what was the transition like for you to like go in person? I was so excited. Yeah. Like I, I was so excited. I actually have my home group is literally around the corner from my house. I had no idea this place was here. <laughs> like I knew nothing about AA before I got sober and they had hmm. outdoor meetings and I went there and I was just so excited to, to meet people that were like me face to face because I had been, you know, chatting on zoom with people and I had gotten a couple of phone numbers. Um, but my whole world opened up in person. I mean, it was just a completely different animal. And now I very awesome. rarely do zoom meetings and maybe a handful of times since I started going in person. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, Very Hey, cool. be, being sober seems boring. <laughs> no, will we, will we ever have fun again with friends or <laughs> is life over Yes. after, uh, after sobriety? <laughs> I mean, 
if it was just if it was just removing the alcohol, I could see how it would be boring or miserable or I'd probably be miserable, bored and drunk. Um, but I didn't just that it wasn't alcohol that was just taken away. You know, I, I, I worked this program and I continue to practice this program and um, I've had that total rearrangement. You know, I'm not the same person that I was before. Um, I was worried about that though. I, I was worried at the beginning that um, I wasn't going to be able to enjoy the things that I used to enjoy. And I think the biggest turning point for me with that. So I, I like this band and I, and I have followed this band around the country um, since I was 19. Are you wearing the shirt? I am wearing the shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a pretty heavy like drug and, and party scene. And I, I was concerned that I was not going to be able to do that again. In fact, the first year that I was sober, I, I felt spiritually fit, but I just, I didn't go. I was, yeah, yeah, I was, I was unsure. Um, And they have meetings at set break there. They have a group um, where everybody meets and then you wear stickers. So people know that you're sober at the shows. And so when I I did eventually go, it was really difficult, not because I wanted to drink. I did not want to drink. had, I mean, the obsession had been removed, but just finding my place again there and feeling comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, did I still like this? Do I still want to do this? Um, was a challenge. And, but that took time, you know, I mean, it just, it took time. And now it's like, yeah, I go, I dance my butt off and, you know, I can really hear the music and feel the music and, um, yeah, you could still have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jerry, as long as you've been sober? What about me? What about having fun? Have you been able well, to have a life? Have fun? Life life is so boring. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I couldn't. I don't know where to start. I mean, I, I'm a guy that, that I absolutely didn't. I, I shortchanged life and had a just a really um, limited understanding of what life and the world and people were about prior to getting sober. I mean, I'd lived in this kind of this dark paranoia that the world was out to get me and that there was nothing good in, in life and things were always dark and um, Alcoholics Anonymous changed all that. I mean, you know, slowly over time by taking the steps and trying to rely on, on God and, um, and not myself or, or other people. I mean, it, it, it awakened me to, to realize that there's a, there's a lot of life to live and there's a lot of good things going on in the world. Um, and I was introduced to a completely new, a completely new life, um, to include just about anything you can think about. I've done it sober. (laughs) <laughs> we, we yeah i don't i don't even, well, i wouldn't even know where to start but it's a, it's a good life it's it's far from boring yep far from boring shank you want to move on to big book shrapnel well you got Let's something to say about your boring life my life is anything but boring. Okay. So, so let me ask a question on the four horsemen. Uh, 
If we were going to translate that, what is the translation for the Four Horsemen? Okay, so moving into Big Book Shrapnel, the reason we didn't do kind of the translation at the top of the episode this time is because we have a shrapnel that is from our reading. So, all right. The Hideous Four Horsemen. If you all didn't know, here you go. It comes from the Book of Revelation and the New Testament. Before you turn the podcast off, this is just a fact, okay? Just everyone calm down. Um, it's four horse-mounted figures, and they each represent a different aspect of destruction and calamity. Okay, it's traditionally um, a sign of the end times. End of the world. The four horsemen. The four horsemen. You're yeah. done. Okay? Yeah. So, the translation that I could come up with for the hideous four horsemen would be the quad squad the quad squad so we would have in our reading all right the hideous four horsemen it would be the hideous quad squad freak out <laughs> mind blown aggravation and crushed crushed <laughs> Okay, so that would be our translation to today, if we were to use that. Well. It's fun. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. I like crushed. You can't translate the big, big book. You know, it's already been translated a few times. The big, big book. That's some good shrapnel for us. (laughs) The big, big big, book. The big, big book. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think we keep it as it is. What do you think, Katie? Yeah, I'm I'm not for change. <laughs> I assumed that both of you all would say that. So moving on to our first big book shrapnel. It is from our reading this morning. Um, it is King Alcohol. So in the first sentence from our reading first couple of sentences the less people tolerated us the more we withdrew from society from life itself as we became subjects of king alcohol shivering denizens of his mad realm the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down king alcohol i like i like it i like the you know the personification of alcohol because that's really how i thought of I mean, I thought of alcohol as a thing, a a person, you know, something that was in control of my life. Um, I mean, it's it's really kind of pretty how it's written. I mean, I did have to look up denizens. I didn't know what that meant, Um, but I like it and I think it's true. I think that it should stay. It's so dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) This whole paragraph is just like, wow. But everything about this is dramatic. I mean, for that, me, my life was so dramatic, you know? Yes. Yes. I love it. King alcohol. Hmm. Okay. So this kind what, of... What does it mean? Is, well, it comes from around the time of the temperance movement. Okay. So, you know, it, they were trying to reduce 
or totally eliminate alcohol consumption. And by personifying it, as Katie mentioned, they were trying to make it just sound like so just like king yeah. kind of like how, right. how we're talking about it you know that so it worked <laughs> right um, it worked so they're trying to to highlight its negative influence on society well yeah it, like it dominated poverty, people domestic violence health issues you know yeah all of that good stuff so like king alcohol really makes it sound like really bad so we're peasants only translation if you all would like one I have a couple yeah let's hear a translation okay so in the spirit of king alcohol we have sovereign sauce (laughs) sovereign sauce (laughs) or if we want to stay kind of like on theme within the book and tie some other places in with it we have jekyll juice Jekyll juice. As in Jekyll. You're good at these. <laughs> I I understand what you yeah, that's Jekyll juice. We're gonna have to Jekyll we, juice. We may not translate it into that, but we should start using that. Yeah, he's on <laughs> well, he's so on we that. have as we became subjects of sovereign sauce or as we became subjects of Jekyll juice. <laughs> yep, he's on that Jekyll juice again. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, Katie, you already said you want to keep King Alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. I think, but I'm those in. are good. I like those. <laughs> We're keeping it, you know. Like, I mean, yeah. to your point, I mean, just is really powerful in personifying it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And a lot of people will say that, like, alcohol was my higher power, and that makes sense to me. King Alcohol, whatever. Yep. Yep. Now, Shank, before we move on to the next one, for future reference, there's probably some other shrapnel in that paragraph. It's Shiv- I mean, shivering, shivering denizens, denizens of his mad realm. I like the chilling vapor that is loneliness. Yes. That's it's an good. accurate statement. It really is. The chilling vapor. All right. Well, we're keeping King Alcohol. All right. Let's keep it. What's next? Next, we have from page 181, Heavenly Father. Okay, and it says, your Heavenly Father will never let you down. God, I take such offense to that. It's just so (laughs) masculine. (laughs) What do you think, Katie? You know... I had, like I said, with spirituality, higher power, God, I had a really hard time with that at the beginning. But again, I was so desperate that I did, I did not care. It was like, okay, like, tell me what to believe and tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, So when I read this now, I mean, I don't take offense that it says he or him or, you know, I'm a woman that doesn't bother me. Um... I mean, this was obviously Dr. Bob's higher power. I mean, this, and he's writing this, so fair. I mean, I, I don't know. I think somewhere it says, um, and we agnostics, I don't know exactly where, but I mean, 
we don't have to agree with someone's conception. Like these are questions for each individual. So just supplant whatever you want in place and you should be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It also says in that chapter that don't let prejudice against certain terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. So it's given us permission to interpret it however we want to. That wasn't a trick. That wasn't a trick. It's real. So this brings up, I think I'm going to derail us a little bit, but this brings up for me when people get upset, when someone is telling their story, giving a talk, doing a lead, insert whatever you call it in your AA meeting here. When people get upset, like if someone says Jesus or someone says Heavenly Father or God or whatever they may use, like that, that is that person's experience and story and i think that we should treat that as such in the big book also you know in the back of the book and the stories people are all over the map with what they believe or don't believe and we read the um uh atheist and agnostics pamphlet what was it called the god word the god word and many paths to spirituality yeah in season two and and I mean, in my opinion, all of those people have a higher power, but they don't call it anything specific. And so I do think this brings up like a different issue, at least for me, in my humble opinion of, you know, whatever your conception is, that's great. I don't need to audit or police your conception of your higher power. Yeah. Just like we don't need to do that to Bob. Katie brings up like a great point. I think yeah. too, like for me, I, I did use, we have this guy and he's still there. He's my friend now, <laughs> but we have this guy in my home group and he's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, um, and that upset me. Like I would go to my sponsor and I would say, this is not the place. Why is this guy always saying Jesus? Exactly what you just said. And as I grew in my program and grew spiritually, it was there was a shift. It's like, oh my God, this guy is working a really good program and he's got a lot of good to say. And I was so hung up on the word that I, I couldn't, I couldn't see that, you know? Um, so I, as I grew, I became, you know, not as rigid with stuff like this. And, you know, of course my higher powers changed now too. So, um, it can still upset me today. (laughs) If it's overused. You know, sometimes I'm just like, all right, we get it. But that is something within me, too. I need to, you know, take Mm -hmm. a look at why that's upsetting me, move forward, da-da-da, whatever, you know. Um, Okay. Jerry, you blew it for my translation. Oh, what's the translation? I didn't... Did I jump ahead? You blew it. You blew it. Okay. Oh, Sky Daddy, huh? Sky Daddy, Heavenly Father, commonly used in Christian theology to refer to God, especially in the context of prayer. All right. Um, In Christianity, God is seen as a creator of the universe, the one who provides guidance uh, and salvation to humanity. Great. Father is used to denote a personal and intimate relationship between God and his followers, emphasizing his role as a protector, provider, source of love and compassion. There you go. 
Well, do not email me if your Christian beliefs are a little bit different than that. This is just like a very basic. This is very basic, okay? Um, I think that that tracks pretty well with Dr. Bob. Sure. You know, what I know about him. And the dragon tattoo, yep. And the dragon tattoo, potentially. Maybe it was um, a snake that looked like a dragon, because there's a snake in the Bible. Yeah, could be. (laughs) Um, Okay. So our most popular translation is going to be higher power. The right. term higher power, right. Yeah, and that's the one that we yeah. we know and love in AA and um, that I think the least amount of people probably have trouble with or whatever. However, my good translation was Sky Daddy. Sky Daddy? <laughs> Jerry stole my thunder on that. Sorry about that, Shank. What about main guy in the sky? Maybe. <laughs> I know I've heard people say something about like bearded man in the clouds or something. I just couldn't remember what, is what that it one? was. That Big say. boss upstairs. <laughs> hey, listen. We cannot edit or translate Dr. Bob's story. I agree. Well, and if any. If anybody above, if anybody tries to do that in a in a future edition of the book, we should shut it down. <laughs> Agree. Not that we have the power to do that, but I think we got to stick with Heavenly Father. Well, the upside down triangle, we do as AA members have. Listen. The power to do that. We're going to cover that on a, a future episode, but the upside down triangle in AA is. Uh, not all that they try to lead you to believe it is. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I look forward <laughs> to hearing that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not all it's cracked up to be. So, are we keeping or translating? Katie? Keep. Keep. All right, we're keeping it. All right. We are keeping it. What's next? Okay. Everyone put on their educational hat, if you will. And I do apologize. I only have a high school education, so I'm going to do my best. Okay? All right. Our next meeting shrapnel is Spheres Really Had Their Music. And this is from page 10 in the book. It says, He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed, my grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings, his insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. So, his insistence that the spheres really had their music. What does it mean? 
Okay. So hit us with that high school education. <laughs> okay. So in this paragraph, I believe that it is talking about Pythagoras and his followers. And the music of the spheres being like an ancient ancient philosophical idea that originated um, with Pythagoras and his followers. So that there's like this movement of celestial bodies and it, it produces like some form of music. Not that it's audible, not that it's um, like you can really hear it, just that it's cos- cosmic, that it's divine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming that because it's like you can't hear it it's more of like a feeling maybe more of a vibe if you will Mm -hmm. um that's kind of what i have katie what do you think about that one the spheres really had their music i too only have a high school education (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't even know what you just read. So you you know more than me. <laughs> this um, is perfect. But I have written here from when I went through the book. My sponsor must have told me this. Bill is drinking here. This so <laughs> Good point. So, so this is when Evie, Evie was there and he kind of gets nostalgic and he's going through all of this. Um, the best I came up with was... Maybe everything is connected. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yes. I believe that that is kind of what this is trying to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, everything that's... is connected, but this preacher shouldn't be able to like dictate mm-hmm. how he interpreted right. or connected with the cosmic music. I think that's probably what it's trying to say. Which yeah. kind of the... goes back to higher power your heavenly father like aa in general doesn't tell you how to connect with your higher power or god or heavenly father or whomever yeah um yeah nor should we as aa members tell people although we sometimes do probably either directly or indirectly but we should let people have their own experience well it just can't be a doorknob this is well. We know you. We know you established <laughs> that one, Shane. Uh, this is one where you, you, when you read it with somebody, you, you're glad they don't ask you what it means because <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> but I think hey, it does mean that, huh? I'm just gonna write down in my book like Katie has. Bill was drinking. <laughs> Bill was drinking. That's so. Hey, that's all you need to know. Yeah, it's a very good point. Good observation. Mm-hmm. Not mine. <laughs> yeah. So, the spheres really had their music. They probably didn't know what it meant back then, and it doesn't matter if you know what it means today, I would think. What's the translation for it, Shank? Okay. So, I couldn't come up with anything too good for this. Everything has its own rhythm. Um... Well, that ties into what Katie was talking about. Yes. Or everything has its own groove. This groove beat, you know. Groove beat. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything has its own groove beat. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. 
well, which would be, let's see, his insistence that everything has its own groove beat, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. We may have to translate that. <laughs> Man, that's that's way better. It's okay to translate to translate Bill's story. Just don't translate Doctor Bob's, Bob's story. I'm joking. It's a joke. <laughs> now we know where your biases stand. Yeah. Okay, Katie, keep or translate. You know, even though I didn't really know what it meant, I just am not a fan for translating. So I'm going to say keep it. Wayne, keep or translate. Oh, I think we got to keep the spheres really had their music. And uh, yeah. We're what keeping do you think, it. Shank? We are We're keeping, keeping it. it. Yep. All right. Cool. Katie. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Now, we didn't get permission to do this, but if you're listening and you're on the gram, Katie has a uh, an Instagram called, I can't say it, Rocketed Into the Fourth. Yes. Is that, did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. Rocketed into the fourth. It's a great page of prayers. And she actually uh, takes requests. So if you have a prayer that you want her to to, uh, to post, you can send it to her at rocketed into the fourth. And she may edit it or translate it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you edit or translate your prayers? I, I really try not to. <laughs> try not to. It's Unless a great, yeah. you know, cuss words and. Because some people do send those. I take I take them out. <laughs> they do send the cuss words in the prayers? Uh, yep. Well, hey, the spheres really had their music. And <laughs> we, and oh. he didn't let Yeah. So anyway, check out her, her page. It's a it's a cool page. It's got some really good inspirational stuff on it. And so, I would uh, like to point out that Katie was the baby of the episode, so it was not me. I am the baby. <laughs> You're right, Shank. That's that's probably only happened one other time, I think. Just a couple of other times, and um, there you go. What is so? You what's never would have known that had I not pointed it out. Everyone I, probably would have still thought I was the baby of the episode. <laughs> Love well, it. You, yeah. Okay. I don't know what that says about me, but thank you guys for having <laughs> me. I. I just want to jump in and say that because I've got I've gotten so much out of out of all of your episodes and you know my sponsor listens to them now and she passes them on to people and people in my home group are listening to them and I just I think it's a great podcast I think you're doing a good job spreading the message. Well, thanks, thanks Katie. Katie. Yeah, keep it simple. Keep yep. it simple. That's right. Stay in the book and you'll be free. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. <laughs>